It's important what you believe. It matters what we believe. When Pastor Matt put me on the spot, I kind of drew a blank. I think that phrase says, if you don't stand for any, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Is that what we were trying to get and the two of us together couldn't get it? It matters what you believe. We exist in this East Hall community to let people know it matters what you believe. And the only thing that's going to matter a thousand years from today is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we, you know, when I planned our preaching calendar for the next year, we're planned up, up into um, about February with Pastor Roger and Pastor Blake. We, you know, we launched February 26 and kind of had the assumption that by now we'd have some new believers in here, so we'd need to focus on, on the building blocks. And so we're not there yet, but we're still trusting the Lord that we will get there. Uh, this week we're going to go out to some of our local businesses in the Rabbit Town area and introduce ourselves as pastors and invite people to come. How many of you played with blocks as little kids? Or maybe your kids did. You know, I happened to find these in, in the nursery closet the other day. And I remember playing with blocks as a little kid and had something that you could pull behind you that had blocks in it. And, you know, I think most kids like to do that. But it's important how you have that foundation of those blocks. If these things were not sturdy, if they were squishy, it wouldn't stand strong. And one of the things kids like to do once you build it is to do what? Knock it down. And then they just giggle and laugh about that. You know, if we don't have the foundational building blocks of our faith correct, what will happen is if we send our young people off to college and they've not gotten that biblical foundation, Satan will come along and he'll knock them down and Satan will laugh at it. It matters what you, I'm stepping all over this plastic bag, it matters what you believe. So the foundational building block of everything we believe comes from the Word of God. The name of our church is Transformation Church because we believe the gospel can transform anybody and everybody and set you free. Break your chains like we sang about earlier. Earlier. But after we've been transformed, after we've been born again, the next step is discipleship, to build on those blocks, to build on the most holy faith, to be all that God would have us to be, to keep building and building and building. That's discipleship. Without a standard, without a standard, how will a society survive? That's what we're living in today. The Bible is the foundational building block. If we get this one wrong, it won't matter. Any of the other things we talk about next week, we're going to talk about the building block of eternal security, assurance of salvation. How do you know you're saved? If you know someone that is not a believer or questions their faith, invite them to be here the following week. And then in two weeks, Pastor Roger is going to preach on genuine faith. What does it mean to have genuine mountain-moving faith? So that's the series that we're launching in today, but... If the Bible is the foundational building block, is it any wonder that the most mass-reproduced book of all times is also the most attacked and questioned book of all times? I mean, Satan is so cunning and he's so crafty. He's been at this from the beginning of time. When he slithered into the garden and he spoke to Eve, he didn't just give her a blatant lie, but he kind of twisted Scripture a little bit and said, hey, did God say you can't have any of that? No, that's not what God said at all. See how he lied from the very beginning. God only said there's one tree you can't eat from. And so now we've got young people who were taught in school for generations now, for a couple of generations, you've evolved from monkeys. You just were slime that came up out of a swamp. Because you see, the devil knows if he can discount the doctrine of creation, how are we going to ever believe the doctrine of salvation? It matters what you believe. If the Bible, listen, I've said before, if you can prove to me there's one mistake in the Bible, 
Bible, I'll go out and get drunk with you tonight, and we'll just party and have a good time. I say that with confidence because I know my Bible is inspired from Genesis to maps. I believe every bit of it because we serve a perfect God. Here's the reality about the old slimy devil. He gets a greater victory if he gets you to question this book right here than if you just go out and commit a specific sin. Because if you question the truth of God's Word, you're a sitting duck for any kind of sin and any kind of temptation that He throws at you. So take your copy of Scripture for our anchor text today in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you've not memorized these verses, I encourage you to memorize these verses because this is the foundational building block of all that we believe. <coughs> Excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I think I told y'all last week I've lost all sense of taste. I still can't taste anything. So my doctor had me come off of a new allergy medicine I was taking to see if that's what it was. And that ain't what it was. I went back on that medicine today. So I'm super dried out. Forgive me if I have to cough and carry on a little bit. But I found something I can taste. I'm going to OD on, um, what do you call those little things? Sour Patch Kids. I can actually taste Sour Patch Kids. I'm living because I want to taste something. Last night I said, baby, my wife makes this delicious Dorito casserole. Y'all ever had Dorito casserole with spicy chicken and taco mix? And she, that is, I said, I bet I can taste that. Tastes like eating air. I put half a bottle of Texas Pete on it. I said, I should be breathing fire by now, but I still don't taste anything. So if I cough and gag today, it's because I'm trying to, to dry myself out. This is the Apostle Paul writing to one of his young preacher boys, I like to call him, one of his young sons in the faith that he had maybe led to Christ and disciple, Timothy. And he's just said prior to this, hey, Timothy, perilous times are coming. I don't think I need to preach a sermon to convince you that perilous times are coming. We talked about this a long time in our Wednesday night Bible study this last week, didn't we, Miss Jenna? We're living in perilous times. They're not just coming. They're here, and I believe things are going to get worse before they get better, but we do pray, God, would you send us another one more great awakening, one more nationwide revival in America before you rapture your church. He said, Timothy, perilous times are coming. So after he warned him of that, he says, but you got to get this foundational building block correct. So if you're able, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Near about, y'all know what near about means? That's what we say in South Georgia. Near about, all Scripture is inspired. Did I read that right? Most all of the Bible is inspired. Is that what it says? No, it says all. If you do a Greek, a, a thorough Greek study of the word all, you know what it means? All means all, and that's all it means. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what's true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses His Word to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Father, I'm so thankful that when you saved my sorry behind, you didn't just leave me out here to grope in the dark and try to figure things out on my own. Lord, I'm thankful that every decision I face in my life, you've already told me in your words, you've given us all that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness. So, Lord, I'm thankful that the principles of your word apply to any decision we have to make in our lives today. So help us to hunger and to thirst for your word, to make sure that your word, reading your word, is the most important thing that we do every day of our life. Thank you for this foundational building block of truth. Lord, cement us on that truth today and that hope we have in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
So I, I told you I don't have to spend time convincing you that we are living in perilous times. And so because perilous times are coming, you got to get this building block, this foundation of your building blocks correct because you'll fall for anything. So just a couple of things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, write this down. God's Word is a supernatural book. God's Word is a supernatural book. I mean, so many of our kids' cartoons today are like superheroes who have superpowers and do things that are superhuman. The Bible is not just any book. It's not just the most published book of all times, which it is. It's not just the most read book of all times, which it is. It is a supernatural book. When he said, hey, Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God. And in the Greek, that's a compound word, theonoustos. Theos means God. Neustos means to breathe. God breathed it out. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Brother Campbell brought me a question this morning. One of those, if we didn't have the whole counsel of God, the Scripture that he showed me from Deuteronomy this morning would be a very troubling Scripture in Deuteronomy. Were it not for the cross and the completed work of Jesus, there are admittedly some harsh sounding things in the Old Testament. Why is that? God was teaching his people who didn't have the full counsel of God yet that he is holy and he is perfect and that standard was hell high. That's why you read things like stone people and put them out and do all of this stuff but nobody could live up to that Old Testament law so Jesus came and fulfilled it and now we live under that new covenant of grace. It is God breathed. In creation, God picked up a lifeless lump of clay and breathed life into it, and Adam became a living, breathing soul. In the inspiration of Scripture, God picked up pages and words and papyrus and ink that men had wrote, and God breathed into it, and it became the supernatural living Word of God that we have today. That's the divine inspiration of Scripture. Because if God is perfect... And if God's holy, he can't breathe out any error. He cannot breathe out any error. He's incapable of it. Our family's getting ready to go to the beach um, in June. All, all of our shepherd family, mine and Sean's mom was down there this past week. Last May, most all of us went. We kind of knew it was my Uncle John's last trip to the beach. He's with the Lord now. And that was so important to him. And my stepmother was living down there then. And when we saw her, I told my wife, I said, we need to come back one more time because Mary is close to eternity. Both of them in eternity now. But usually where we go to Panama City, you don't find very big shells. But I've been to South Florida before, uh, Miami, and you can find some of those big old conch shells. You could pick up that conch shell and put it to your ear as a child, and your parents say, hey, that's the ocean. You hear that? Y'all ever done that before? It's like you can hear the ocean in there. Listen, you pick up this book, and if you listen closely, I believe you can hear the breath of God that inspired the Word of God. He's perfect, and He's holy, and His Word is. That's why it's the most important building block that we're going to talk about. Did men write the Bible? Yeah, men wrote the Bible. Ordinary folks like us that God chose to use, you can see some of their personalities in the Scriptures. When you read the Gospel of Mark, everything is abrupt. He did this, and he did this, and then he did this, and he did this. If you want to get a quick snapshot of the Gospels, read Mark first because it's short. Mark just got to the point. He must not have been a Baptist preacher. He got to the point quickly. But then Luke was a doctor. You read the account of the crucifixion and the resurrection from Luke, you can kind of see a little bit of the medical background of Luke there. So you can see the personalities of the people who wrote these scriptures. But 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, more verses we should commit to memory. I memorized these in King James in seminary, so I'm reading to you from a more modern translation today. Above all, 
Most important, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So, yes, they were normal, ordinary men, but the Holy Spirit of God moved on them as they took that quill to write that or however they wrote that back then. I'm telling you, our name is Transformation Church. We don't put a denomination in our name because it is a barrier in this culture for a lot of people, but the reality is we are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is the only major denomination in history to ever almost go completely off the cliff of liberalism, and God used men like Charles Stanley, who just went to be with the Lord, and Paige Patterson, and um, golly, uh, Adrian Rogers drew a blank. God used those heroes to bring our denomination back. You pray for the Southern Baptist convention meetings coming up. Pastor Matt and I can't afford to go there, but this year is another critical, crucial year. This speaks to the survival of the Southern Baptist Convention. Why do I use such strong language? Because it all comes down to the truth of Scripture. It all, we thought we'd won the battle for the Bible, and we did, and we're right back there again for the battle for the Bible. So you pray. That's a big deal coming up. But true Baptist are people of the book. True Baptists are serious about the truth of Scripture. I heard, heard a story of a Presbyterian preacher, a Pentecostal preacher, and a Baptist preacher. They were out at breakfast just talking and fellowshipping. It's important to fellowship with, with all people across all lines, right? We all, if we all believe in Jesus and the gospel, we're going to the same place. We may disagree on a few minor things, but if they believe the gospel, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for our sins, they're going to be in heaven with us. And one of them said, hey, Reckon if the Apostle Paul was alive today, what, denom what denomination do you think he belonged to? Well, the Presbyterians said, well, no doubt he'd be a part of our denomination. We believe in scholarly intellectualism and a keen study. The Apostle Paul had a brilliant mind. He'd surely be a Presbyterian. Pentecostal preacher said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He'd love our enthusiasm, and he'd surely be a Pentecostal. Baptist preacher didn't say a word. They looked at him and said, well, what are you thinking? He said, hmm. I don't believe Paul would change a thing. In other words, he said he thinks Paul would be a Baptist because we're people of the book. What we believe is centered on the book. I, that joke went over like a lead balloon right there. Sometimes they do that, don't they? We, Pastor Matt and I say we're, we're, we're Bapticostals, okay? That means we're saved and we hadn't gotten over it yet. We believe you can be expressive. We can believe you can, not just you could, you should be excited about your salvation. And different ones of us express that in different ways, right? I've told you before, Rasta Salter pastored Second Baptist of Warner Robins for 49 years. And back then, preachers sat on the platform. That's what they did back then. And if we sang a song and preacher got real excited, he would do this right here. If preacher was tapping his hands, we knew he was about to have a Bapticostal fit. That was exciting for Brother Rastus. We're all different. We express it. So we say at Transformation Church, you're free to worship however you want to. But we are people of the book. We get upset when people attack the book. That's the crux of what's happening at the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Louisiana. I'll just tell you straight up, it's Rick Warren who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And, and so I, the, our executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, they voted to disfellowship them because they have teaching right now that is not biblical. Has God used Rick Warren? Absolutely. I learned so much from the book The Purpose Driven Life. I learned so much from the book The Purpose Driven Church. 
And so you give credit where credit's due, but the man is off in theological error now, and so he's trying to fight the convention. They're going to vote over that in New Orleans, and I'm telling you, the very key to the survival of the convention depends on what happens in New Orleans. To attack the Bible is like tampering with the medicine of a sick man. To attack the Bible is like attacking or taking away the food of a hungry man. It is the basic building block of everything that we believe. So any preacher, any church, any denomination that doubts what God has declared is destined and doomed for disaster, and they deserve to have disaster. You know, we, we talk all the time like it's a bad thing that hundreds of churches across America close every week, and that can be a bad thing. But a whole lot of them, they just them deserve to close because they've taken their eyes off the truth of Scripture, or they become a family or a man-run social club, and God takes his hand off of them, so they've closed the doors to make room for somebody else to come in there and do something. So this is a supernatural book. It is God-breathed. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God, it's alive. It's alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is alive. This is a supernatural book. The old British preacher Charles Spurgeon said, If you take your Bible and cut it into a thousand pieces, all thousand pieces would grow and survive and multiply over and over again. And I know I've shared this with you before, but it's just one of those things that is burned and ingrained in my memory. Sadly, I'll be having to go out of town here soon. One of my dearest friends from our days in Lynchburg, Virginia, he drove the bus for us and took us on mission trips all over. He and his family, all four of them, God blessed them. We didn't, I thought there's nowhere they're going to raise the money for four of them to go to Russia. But God provided for all four to go to Moscow, Russia with us. And so many memories of that trip. It was my first international trip. Ronald Reagan, my political hero, called him the evil empire. And here we are sharing the gospel. Some of the first people to go in after the Iron Curtain fell. And so we were limited in the number of Bibles we had to give away. So they were, they were, they were knocking my kids down to get a copy of the Bible. They were hungry for the Word of God. It broke my heart. I wish we had enough to give everybody. We only had a limited number for each village. So finally, I got smarter I put my girls in the middle, and I put my boys around them to protect them so when the girls handed the Bible, they wouldn't get knocked down. It was, it was both exciting to see the hunger for the Word of God, and it was sad because we wouldn't have enough. But inevitably, in every community, as that bus drove away, Mike didn't drive the bus in Russia. It was still early after the curtain fell, so there was a Russian soldier with us everywhere we went, by the way. A little bit intimidating, but they were letting us share the gospel. But as we drove away, we'd watch them. They take out those Bibles and they tear out chapters and they share the Word of God with one another because they wanted everybody to get to see and experience and know this God that maybe they heard about in the Orthodox Church but didn't get the full picture of who Jesus is. It is a supernatural book. <coughs> to try to kick God out of his book, the inspiration of Scripture out of his book, it's like kicking God out of his universe. You cannot do it. It is the Word of God. It's God's Word and he's perfect. It's, it's got to be supernatural. It's got to be inspired. It was written by 40 different individuals in 13 different countries on three different continents over a period of anywhere from 1,400 to 1,600, not exactly sure how many years, but over a long time. And every bit of it fits together like a glove to give us the grand story of redemption and how you can have a personal relationship with God and that's got to be supernatural. Got to be. Doesn't have to be updated. Doesn't have to be changed. Now we get it in languages we can understand. But the truth of God's word, any translation that sticks to the truth of God's word, is reliable. 
we say it's absolute truth. What does that mean? It is true for all people, for all places, and for all times. If I was preaching in Russia this morning, if I was preaching in Brazil this morning, if I was preaching in Nicaragua this morning, I'd still preach the same truth because it's true for all people, for all places, and for all times. How do you know that? How do we humans wrap our brains around that? You know, for me, one of the greatest evidences of the inspiration of Scripture. I mean, God said it, so that ought to settle it. But if you want a little more proof, you just look at the Old Testament prophecies. I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by Old Testament prophecies, how hundreds of years before Jesus ever was born, anybody heard the name of Jesus? The book of Micah said, hey, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, that's, Bethlehem's a big deal for us. We've grown up hearing about Jesus being born in Bethlehem our whole life. But at that time, it was a tiny little obscure village you mean the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to be born there? Like saying he's going to be born in Alto or Lula or some little city around here all over the world. No, it came true just like it did. When the Old Testament said, behold, a virgin will conceive. I'm sure everybody said, nope. There's no, this guy, Isaiah, has lost his mind. A virgin cannot conceive. He said, no, a virgin will conceive. And she'll bear a son, Isaiah 7, 14. And you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know the story of Jesus. That is exactly what happened with Mary and Joseph. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most documented facts in all of human history. In fact, there's more evidence to back up the fact that Jesus rose from the dead than there was that George Washington was the first president of the United States. I mean, he was seen by hundreds of people after the resurrection. So when when a man fulfills ancient scriptures in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you can believe what he says. Some of the things in scripture that are most attacked other than creation, another one is the great flood. There's no way God said build a big old boat in a desert. I ain't never rained before. And God says it's going to flood. They're going, what's flood? Never heard that before. There's no way that happened. There's no way that this man was able to gather animals two by two and more for those who had to be sacrificed and put them on a boat. Jesus affirmed the truth of Noah and the great flood in Luke 17, 27. And this man, uh, this man fulfilled ancient scriptures of Jesus said, it's got to be true. Jonah and the fish, there ain't no way. This little Jewish rebellious prophet, no way he could be swallowed in a great fish and live to tell about it. Jesus, who resurrected himself by his own power, said it's the truth in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. You can't kick God out of his book. You can't kick God out of his universe. But you need to be warned that there are crocodiles. Did you see I posted on Facebook? We lived in Warner Robins for 19 years. An eight-foot, two-inch alligator in Houston County showed up in somebody's backyard wooden fenced in backyard. I don't know how that happens. I would have freaked out, but I tell you, but I said this, I'd much rather have an eight foot two alligator in my backyard than a rattlesnake. I can see the alligator. I can't see that little snake, but you, there are crocodiles along the shores of Christianity looking to devour our young people. We raise them in church. We bring them to church. We send them to secular universities. I went to the university of Georgia and you get a professor who says, now Jesus was dynamic but he wasn't divine. Jesus was good, but he wasn't God. <laughs> and they take the Holy Bible, and they try to turn it into a Bible of holes. Y'all ever heard of that Jesus seminar? I don't know if they even meet anymore. But Jesus seminar used to be these guys who, as Louis Grizzard used to kindly say, they've been educated far beyond their intelligence. These people with more degrees than a thermometer. And they would get together with the Bible, and they would vote. They'd go through the words in red and say, well, did Jesus really say that? They'd raise their hand. 
Yep, I believe he said it. Nope, I don't believe he said that. And so they were ripping apart the Bible. I know it's true because I had one of them as a professor at the University of Georgia. His name was George Howard. He taught theology classes at the University of Georgia. Young, dumb, naive. I knew God was building my heart about ministry. I thought, I'll take a New Testament course at Georgia. One of the dumbest things I've ever done. All they're going to do is attack Scripture. Thank God I had a foundation of truth. My church, my little church in Cordial had discipled me and given me a firm foundation on the Word of God, as well as my, especially my church there in Athens. But how many don't have that foundation? How many don't have that foundation that the Bible is God's Word? And they listen to that drivel that Jesus is is, is d- dynamic but not divine, and they believe that. They believe that Jesus is a way to get to heaven. Pastor Matt said earlier, Oprah Winfrey, she's done a lot of good. I think her daddy was a Baptist preacher, but Oprah says there are many ways that you can get to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. No, ma'am, they do not. If you read your Bible, it will cure a lot of ignorance because the truth is in the Word of God. Any preacher, professor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, anybody who is wrong about the Bible, I don't care how much they're right about it. If they're wrong about the truth of Scripture, you don't need to be listening to that person. You need to get away from them as soon as you can. Only a supernatural book could predict things hundreds of years before they happen. In A.D. 30 in Rome, the Roman emperor Diocletian issued an edict to get rid of all the Bibles and get rid of all the Christians. The great persecution, they tried to take away all the Bibles. They tried to get rid of all the Christians. And 25 years later, the very next Roman emperor's name was Constantine. He tried to get rid, Diocletian tried to get rid of all of it. Constantine said, We're going to print Bibles at government expense. What a difference. It matters who you support. It matters the leaders that are placed in positions of authority. I don't want to be political. None of them are perfect. They're all human beings. But it matters what our political leaders believe. I want to vote for somebody who affirms the truth of Scripture and says they affirm the sanctity of human life. They affirm God's definition of marriage. If they don't affirm those things, they're not worthy of our vote because they're helping lead to America going over a cliff. I'll stop right there before I get political. But 25 years later, Constantine starts printing Bibles at government expense. Number two, God's Word is supernatural. Number two, God's Word is a perfect instruction book. It is a perfect instruction book. I don't generally work on Tuesdays for Nabisco uh, because I'm still a pastor. I still have to prepare. I still have things to do here. But you know one reason I work on Tuesday? You got to put together displays. My wife can tell you If I pull out a toolbox, she starts fasting and praying. She knows I'm going to tear something up. And those stupid cardboard displays that you see for Nabisco, they ain't got no kind of instructions to any of them. There's pictures on there. Well, I can see, but I need some instructions. I need to know, and even then I'm probably going to mess it up. God's Word is a perfect instruction book. Whatever decision you face in life, I'm telling you the answer is here. He may not tell you specifically who you're supposed to marry, but he tells you the kind of person you ought to marry. He may not tell you what college to go to, but he'll give you some principles to rely on. He may not tell you what job to take, but the Holy Spirit can guide you to the place that God can best use you. It is a perfect instruction book, and we need that. Because we live in a world of moral relativism where people say, if you want to believe that, that's all right, but I don't believe that. So you just keep your beliefs to yourself. Moral relativism and situational ethics. Well, listen, and I'm against abortion. I don't think you should kill a baby. But, and they give excuses, if this happens, then it's okay to kill that baby. No, Judges 21-25 has come true in America. Judges 21-25 in the Old Testament said, every man did that which was right 
in his own eyes. There was no standard of truth. They did whatever they wanted to do. We're living in that in America today. You can, be, you can embrace any kind of perversion and weirdness, and the world will applaud you. But if you say the Bible is the Word of God, and I'm going to stand on what God says, then you're intolerant. You're a racist, you're a homophobe, and you are a bigot. That's what the world says to us in America today. Do you know there are parts in Michigan and places in the United States where Islamic Sharia law is preferred over the Scriptures, over the truth of God's Word. You know we have these people serving in Congress right now because they live in districts who put them there. And you know what we are, those, us Bible-believing Christians? We're the infidels. We're the enemies. And, if you, and it matters what you believe. Their book says kill us. Their book says we deserve to die. These are people under our, under our capital in Washington, D.C., making laws. Thank God they're in a minority. But if we blink... If we don't pray, if we don't get a handle on the truth of Scripture and vote for people who do, we're going to be in the minority one day. Because as I put on Facebook last week, y'all know America's not in Bible prophecy, right? You can see China. I believe you can see Russia. We're not in there anywhere. Why? I don't know why. Will we not be in existence as a nation? Will we be so weak and irrelevant on the world scene that we just don't matter anymore? I mean, just look how far we've slid in the last three Two or three years, how far we've come. Things we would never dream would be happening. There has to be a standard. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to tell us what's true. That's what's right. It'll make us realize what's wrong in our lives. God's Word will tell you what's not right. It corrects me when I'm wrong and teaches me to do what's right. That's how to get right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. That's how to stay right. God's Word will tell you what's right, what's not right, how to stay, how to get right, and how to stay right. But Satan is a master deceiver. I, I alluded to this already. Satan has convinced people. If you speak about what God says on gender roles, did you see the little boy that got put out of school last week? I think it was in the fifth grade. He simply wore a T-shirt to school that said there are only two genders. Ask your veterinarian how many genders of dogs and cats there are. The veterinarian gets it right. But the little boy got put out of school because he wore a shirt that said there are only two genders. He's intolerant. His parents are mean. They're hateful. They're bigoted. No, his parents taught him what the Bible says. I think if there was no Bible, again, a veterinarian can tell you there's only two genders, only two out there. I'm so tired of hearing on the radio, I've heard it a whole bunch on WSB this week, you know, the Methodist denomination is splitting. The Methodist denomination has come to a, a place where some of the churches have left the Methodist denomination, and others in Atlanta are trying to. Every time I've heard that story on the radio or television, they say it's over social issues. It's, it's not over social issues. It's over biblical issues. It's over what God said. But they say it enough, and they think these are mean, nasty, hateful Methodists just can't agree on social issues. <clears throat> you, you may be called mean and hateful and intolerant, but the most loving thing you can do for anybody is to tell them what the Bible says. We speak the truth, what? In love. We don't beat them over the head with the Bible like some of these angry protesters. We speak the truth in love. I hear what you're saying but I love you enough to tell you the truth. Can I tell you what the Bible says? There has to be a standard. The most loving thing we can do is point people to Scripture. 2 Timothy 4.3 describes what I believe is the time we're living in right now. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And if the preacher don't, they'll just get another one. If that one don't, they'll just get until they get somebody that just tickles their ears and tell them what they want to hear. Listen, we're on the World Wide Web. If there are any liberal preachers who stumble across this message and 
in the coming weeks or months. Can you just do us all a favor? Get out of the ministry. Get you a job selling aluminum siding or funeral plots somewhere and stop misleading people and getting them to doubt the Word of God. People come to church hungry for truth. And they get a few bones to gnaw on and we send them out of here. The, when people come to church, they don't need to leave with more question marks. Preachers today and Sunday school teachers and deacons, we need to give them exclamation points of Scripture, not question marks. But nobody wants to be told their, their behavior is sinful. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong about anything. What they'd rather do is fill up big stadiums in Texas with that Pepsi and smile and say, this is your best life now. Believe whatever you want to believe. Do whatever you want to do. Psalm 119, verse 9, I said it's a perfect instruction book. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands, the psalmist said. I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Who has a problem with sin? My hand went up first because I do. We all do. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we all have a sin problem, what's the, what's the antidote? To get in the Word of God every day. It's our instruction manual. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet. I'm not sure where to go. I'm not sure what to do. But as I take a step in the direction of that light, He gives me a little more light. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And every step of obedience I take, He gives me a little more light. I'm glad He don't show us the big picture. I'm glad He doesn't show us like 25 years from now. If he'd have shown me even five years ago, we'd be here planting a church and I'd be stocking cookies and crackers. He'd have scared me to death. But you just take one step of obedience and God gives you more light. When I come across something in Scripture, and we talked about this morning, Brother Norman, there are hard things in the Bible. If I come across something that I don't understand in the Bible, and sometimes I do, I got a master's degree in religion, I got to fall back on the fact the problem is with my understanding. It's not with the truth of God's Word because let God's God be true, and every man a liar. The noted French skeptic Voltaire died in 1778. He predicted that within 100 years, Christianity would be wiped off the face of the earth. He should have listened to what happened to Diocletian, okay? 50 years after Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society that prints Bibles and gives out Bibles to people, they moved into a new location. You know where it was? Voltaire's house. They moved into the man's house who said Christianity wouldn't be in existence. Voltaire passed into history, but God's Word still stands forever. God's Word is a supernatural book. God's Word is a great instruction book, the best. And number three, God's, book, God's Word is a saving book. It's a saving book. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The world wants to make us ashamed of the Scripture. The world wants us to be ashamed of the things that we believe. But we stand firm in what we believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power. That word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means dynamite. God's Word is explosive. It's living and active and sharp than a two-edged sword, Hebrews said. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God unto what? Salvation, I didn't give you all this slide if you're looking for it, it's not there. Unto salvation to everyone who believes. This is a saving book. James 1.21 says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God's planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. You want to be saved? You want to tell somebody how to be saved? Take them to the book. There are many, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks. I don't want to say too much about it now, but we got to be in this community, y'all. we got to be sharing the gospel. we got to be inviting people to come to our church. And you say, well, I don't know how to witness. Here's something real simple for you. Because people like to share their opinions. we all got opinions, right? They're like armpits. Most of us have two, and many of them stink. But people want to tell you their opinion. So you say, in your opinion, what does it take for a person to go to heaven? Do not interrupt them. Do not criticize. You just listen. Let them say whatever they want to say. 
And you very politely say, can I tell you what the Bible says about that? And you just take them to the Romans Road, plan of salvation. We got cards coming in. We thought they'd be here this week, but they're not here yet. But on the back, there's the, the Romans Road, plan of salvation. If you can read, you can witness to somebody, hey, that's your opinion, and I got opinions. But can I tell you what the Bible says? It's that simple. That's not confrontational. It's not mean. It's not hateful. It's not arrogant. John 20, 31 says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The hero of the Holy Bible is not dead. His name is Jesus, and he's alive, and he's coming back again. Yeah, I've never heard anybody give their testimony and say, Man, I was a, I was a drunk. I was hooked on, on meth. I was hooked on alcohol, and I got a hold of this history book. I've never read anything like this book before, and it changed my life. Never had anybody tell me that. Never had anybody seen. You know, I was living an immoral life. I was out running around on my spouse doing things I ought not to do, and then I read this economics book, and it just made me pure. No, I've never heard of that, but I've known alcoholics. I've known drug addicts. I've known sexually immoral people get a hold of this book, and it totally transforms their life. It is the gospel that is transformative. It's the God. Yeah, we invite people to church. Yeah, we talk about transformation church, but they need to hear the gospel. Whether they ever come to our church or not, they need to hear the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our our sins. We got to share that with them. We can talk about other things. That's okay. It can be a bridge to get to that. But the Bible can rock your world and transform your life. It is the revelation of God to man. His gospel, the only book that will truly set you free. Are you reading your Bible every day? Listen, the most important advice I can give you is read your Bible every day. When should I do it, preacher? Well, I say do what works for you. But I, I, the Bible says we're supposed to be like Christ, right? Jesus got up early in the morning and spent time with the Father. My job forces me to get up early in the morning. You mean to tell me, Mike, if you got a truck coming in at 4.52 in the morning at, at Kroger or Publix or Walmart, you're going to read your Bible? I absolutely. You bet your sweet bippy I do. Whatever it takes, however early i got to get up, because the most important thing I do is to read the Word of God. If it's just five minutes. You don't have to read chapters and chapters. I know some people are big on reading the Bible through a year. Hey, if you can do that, do that. I've done it before. And you know what I did at the end? I said, well, I checked those boxes. I don't hardly know what I read because I was just doing it to say I did it. I'd rather read a little bit and get a nugget from it. And what I do is I take my journal and I get a truth that I just read and I write that back as a prayer to the Lord. Yesterday morning I read 1 Timothy 3 qualifications of pastors and deacons. And I just praise the Lord. I thank God for the pastors who've invested in my life and pointed me to Jesus and helped disciple me. I got to the section about deacons. God brought to my mind all the godly deacons I've been blessed to know in my life, men who epitomize what it means to be a deacon. And I wrote that back as a prayer to the Lord, and I thanked him, and I put it on Facebook, and I tagged a few of those men that are alive. Sadly, many of them are already in heaven, but some of them are still here. Commit to read the Word of God. If it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, if it's God-breathed, it's the most important thing you can do every day. For me to be equipped to talk to people about the Lord, I need to first read God's Word and talk to the Lord about the people I'm going to talk to. So he's my first appointment, and then he sets the stage for the rest of the day. Then we can go out and say, hey, you got chains? He's a chain breaker. You got pain in your life? Let me tell you about a man who's a pain taker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison-shaking Savior. Let me tell you about the one who's a chain breaker. That's the message that we share. It's not our message. It's the message of the gospel. How specifically, number one, how specifically is God's Word prompting you to respond today? I think most, if not everybody here, has let me know at some point you have professed the Lord as your Savior. That's between you and the Lord. Um, but if not, Today's the day of salvation. If you have, if we say we believe it, 
we don't really believe any more than we behave, okay? If I say I believe the Bible from Genesis to Maps, but I go out here and live however I want to, I practice, I, that's practical atheism. It's saying you believe it but not living like it. What's he prompting you to do today? Number two, do you behave what you claim to believe about God's Word? Number three, have you ever trusted God's Word for saving faith? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then and only then can you be saved. For Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, well, boy, I've messed up a lot in my life, preacher. You don't know what I've done. The apostle Paul was a terrorist. Any terrorist in here? Not only did God save him, but God used him to write most of the New Testament. So if he can do that in his life, what can he do for me and you who are not terrorists? We've all done bad. We've all sinned. But he wants to use us to impact our community. The Scripture talks about building a house. We're talking about building blocks. The Scripture talks about a wise man builds his house on the rock. On the rock, Jesus is the rock of ages. But the foolish man builds his house on sand. The shifting sands, well, I know what the Bible says, but Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't God. When the storms of life come, and they're coming, you can mark that down. You're Right now, everybody in here, you're either in a storm, you just got out of one, or one's coming. You just mark that down. That's the truth of the life we live in. When the storms of life come, if I don't want my house to be washed away, I got to be anchored on the solid rock. That is the first foundational truth of our building block series. The Bible is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you all over again that you know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know I need help. I don't just need you sometimes. I don't just need you on Sunday, but I need you every hour. I need you every minute. I need you every second. So, Lord, I'm thankful for those nuggets of truth that you've allowed me to hide in my heart that your Holy Spirit recalls when I need them the most. When I need to respond to the attacks of the enemy, thank you that I've got truths, I've got arrows in my heart that I can use to fight back. And, Lord, I'm so thankful that if I don't remember, not only do I have my Bible, i got a lot of Bibles, not only do I have that, but, God, now I've got a phone with a Bible app on it so I can turn to your Word at any time. Lord, forgive us when we give in to the world's foolishness. Forgive us when we give in to the world's way and we listen to them and say, well, did God really say that? Is that really what God meant? God, I want to be a man who lives a life anchored on your truth. I want to be a man who preaches your truth till you call me home. I want to be a man who tells people there's no other way to get to heaven but Jesus because your word says so. God, I pray that each person under the sound of my voice, we would purpose in our heart, to be sure of our salvation, to know that we're saved, and then to be instruments in your hand to point other people to saving faith in you. Thank you that we all have a story to tell. Thank you that all believers, we have a testimony. Testimonies are powerful. But God, remind us that that testimony needs to land on the gospel, the truth of your word, because that's the power of God unto salvation to whoever believes. If there's one here today present in this community center, or one listening on the World Wide Web, whether it's in their car, at their home, on vacation somewhere. Holy Spirit of God, I'm so thankful that today, you've told us today is the day of salvation. And that anyone who calls on your name can be saved if they'll only turn from their way, their sins, and embrace the cross. Thank you that Jesus paid it all. I don't have to do anything to earn it. Thank you that he paid it all. Help us to receive that. Lord, for all the rest of us who know we're saved, we know we're going to heaven Help us to hunger for your word more. Help us to thirst for your word more than our very next meal. 
Help us to know that if we're going to survive the storms of life, we got to have this basic building block anchored on the truth of your word. Thank you that Jesus and his word never fails. It's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Whatever you need this morning, Jesus is. Whatever question you've got, the principles are right here. Let's turn to his word and let's obey it.